it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade show. So glad you're here. I uh, hope to see everyone uh, Friday night in Dayton with WHIO listeners and over Saturday and Sunday in Kentucky talking about Teddy and Booker T. Uh, two American icons plays the path to racial uh, equality. We'll talk about that. We also have a lot of other things going on, including I don't something's not getting enough attention, and that is what the director of the FBI was saying about possible terror attacks here and uh, what the terrorists look at as our role uh, as Israel takes the offensive in Gaza. Um, pay attention to that. Uh, Mark Thiessen's coming up this hour. Senator Tommy Tuberville's coming up this hour. First things first, Admiral James Stavridis is coming up, but first, Big Three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Like I said, I am willing to make significant compromises on the border. We need to fix the broken border system. It is broken. And thus far, I've gotten no response. 12,000 people came on Tuesday alone. That is an all-time record. Massive aid for two wars and three allies hangs in the balance as the Republicans play hardball in their quest for massive border reform. It is worth the fight. Hopefully they get a resolve before the holidays. Number two. There is no, no context in which the, you know, the genocide of the Jewish people can be condoned. And it's certainly not conducive to learning for the poor students. And that is somebody who just resigned as a board member of the University of Pennsylvania, closing in on the mastermind of Gaza. While Ivy League presidents feel the heat from their uh, poisonous testimony, in my view, on Tuesday, one major company now says he will not hire from Yale or Harvard. I imagine many more will say that publicly and do it privately. Being pro-Hamas is still a problem for most of America. Number one. So Deliver you do you think he's big fit. Result. You do we should think. not nominate somebody he won't who's, answer. Who's, who's, who's almost 80 years old. Okay. He's afraid to answer. <laughs> no, I'm not. He's, no, you have to. No. Either, either you're afraid or you're not listening. No, it's not. There's a simple you don't, you question. Don't Debate number four was more personal than political as four contenders take on each other. And most punt when asked about Trump. Next big date, six weeks from now in Iowa. I'm not going to talk politics with my next guest, Admiral James Javitas, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander, multi-New uh, York Times bestselling author. Admiral, uh, welcome back. Your thoughts about what hangs in the balance with this aid to Taiwan, uh, Israel, and Ukraine? We've got to get uh, all of it done, and uh, we've got to get the border fixed. And so, on the one hand, I'm nervous that we're not going to get done the vital aid to Ukraine and Israel, which are really my wheelhouse. But I think as Americans, we can recognize we've got to do all this. We have the capacity. We have the money to do it. If there's something I could say positively, it's that it appears to be a hard-fought negotiation up there on Capitol Hill. Let's hope they can do what governments are supposed to do. Politics is about allocating resources. We can afford to do all three of these things. Let's get it done. What's the right messaging for non-military people to get it across to them that Ukraine matters? For non-military people, and maybe non-historians, and I'm not being 
I'm not putting anybody down who just do a million things and that's just not their thing. Why should they care about Ukraine? Uh, because if we allow Vladimir Putin, a dictator, to simply roll across a border, uh, take over a massive country that is full of natural resources, this would be like uh, Russia conquering something the size and the capacity of Texas. If we allow that to happen, I guarantee you the next thing will be China taking a really hard look at whether a similar strategy might work in Taiwan, which is where the world's semiconductor chips are manufactured. Um, It would embolden Iran to look at going into the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, where all our oil comes from. Look, I get it on how people say Ukraine, what's that? Where is that? It's a long way away. It doesn't matter. But all of this is interconnected. And if we allow the collapse in each of those individual places, we are going to pay the price over time. And I know you said non-historians, but I just have to throw in, we tried this approach about 100 years ago in the 1920s and 30s. And we essentially became isolationist, had no overseas bases, no overseas military engagement. How did that work out? Well, we saw the rise of Nazi Germany. We saw uh, Japan's empire conquering territories, and it ended up, Brian, I'll close with this, on the 7th of December, which is what today is, 1941. Let's not repeat that history, and let's understand how important this is in our day-to-day lives. Well, what has to change about our policy in Ukraine? Uh, We need to up our military game, and we can do that within the financial context uh, that is already on the books. And by the way, a lot of people say, oh, the Europeans aren't uh, being part of this. They are. The Europeans, look at the facts here. The Europeans have spent more money in Ukraine than the United States. And by the way, 20 European countries have spent more per capita, per person in Ukraine than the United States had. This is not a lot of money in the context of U.S. defense funding. Final thought, our defense budget appropriately is about $900 billion. What we're talking about here for Ukraine is $60 billion. It's it's 5% of our defense capacity, and it's going to knock out Vladimir Putin. So we need to put more emphasis, more equipment right. in the hands of the Ukrainians. When we see some video, we say that the, it looks like the IDF could be more careful in going after Hamas in Gaza. How do you view it? I think the uh, Israeli Defense Forces had the hardest military problem maybe that I've ever seen, at least in a relatively small space. They have 2.2 million civilians floating around this tiny battlefield the size of Manhattan, and they are expected to somehow conduct these operations, destroy these evil terrorists who we're just now learning the full extent of their rapes, their tortures, their mutilations, particularly directed to Israeli women. The Israeli Defense Forces are somehow expected to conduct uh, a campaign that is simply without civilian casualty. That would be great, but it's not realistic. So there is going to be some level of civilian casualties. What we do expect the Israelis to do is minimize that. And they're not out there raping Palestinian women. They're not out there 
mutilating corpses of Palestinian children. They are obeying the rules mm -hmm. of law, and they need to minimize civilian casualties. But we need to recognize very hard problems. They're surrounding the, the mastermind of this operation. No one denies it. It was in an Israeli prison yes. for 20 years. Sinwar is uh, – his place is surrounded right now. Um, hopefully he's either killed or captured shortly. Having said that, you still got between five and 20,000 fighters to get to. How do you get through crowds of civilians to get to these fighters? And how can you possibly complete this job without doing that? Um, first, on the mastermind, Sinwar, he's in his hometown, Han Yunus. The Israelis are closing in. It is not an exaggeration to say he is the bin Laden figure from an American perspective. So huge military target. Uh, good hunting is what I say to the Israeli Defense Forces. In terms of how you get after the between five, I'd say the estimates I've seen, Brian, are more like five to 10,000 actually semi-trained, semi-armed. So it's not a huge number. So the way you do it and what you're seeing now is a shift from the Israelis using their uh, air campaign to, to take down large uh, facilities where the terrorists are located. Now they're moving foot soldiers into the battlefield. The most precise weapon on a battlefield is not a precision-guided bomb, a precision-guided missile. It's an infantryman. So you move them yeah. in, you separate the women and children, you start doing retinal eye scans. The Israelis have a huge database of the bad actors. You apprehend them. If they try and resist, you kill them. That's how you do it. And then what? Uh, let's say this operation mm -hmm. takes three more months to get the most of them out. What does Gaza look like, Admiral Stavridis? Um, there will be a significant destruction to the infrastructure, probably 30 percent, 25 to 30 percent of the total infrastructure. So there'll be an ongoing humanitarian effort the security situation will hopefully be stabilized. At that point, Brian, I'd say three months from now, the Israelis will be looking for the exits in the sense that they don't want to govern, they don't want to run security in Gaza. What they will want to do is turn it over to some combination of the Palestinian Authority, the Arab League, and the United Nations. We're a long way from that point in that negotiation. I think that's the logical next step for the Israelis. I'm sure mm -hmm. even as they conduct this tactical campaign, they're thinking through that longer-term effort of to whom can they hold this over. Final thought, they will also create a wider buffer zone a military-controlled buffer zone, which failed so miserably last time. That's got to be deepened and strengthened. So we see that there are civilian ships, commercial ships are being targeted now, thanks to the Houthi rebels and their supporters. So it's affecting shipping lanes, it's commercial uh, uh, economies at this point. They're actually aiming at us, over 80 strikes, four returned, maybe five. How would you handle yep. this? How would you get back on the front foot and get to the, the heart of the problem, which is Iran? Well, exactly. And Whenever people say the Houthi rebels are attacking ships, my gentle correction is Tehran is attacking ships. This is a campaign that almost certainly is being orchestrated by the Iranian mullahs, the rotten theocracy in Tehran. How I would get at it is I would use some of the techniques I used as Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, Brian, where we had a huge Somali pirate infestation in those waters. And it's a combination of uh, military warships on station working with the 
private sector, the shipping companies. I think they need security teams on many of these ships and convoying them. But having said all that, we have to make Iran pay a price. So I would be saying to Iran, if this continues, we're going to go after Iranian maritime assets, starting with your oil and gas platforms in the Arabian Gulf, for example. We've got to construct a strategy that says to Iran, this is unacceptable right. at sea, just as it is unacceptable ashore. Admiral, do you believe this administration is much too risk adverse? And do you believe the Secretary of Defense is making that decision? Or does that come from the White House? Um, I think it comes from the White House. Um, all decisions at this level always do. I can't speak for what my good friend and contemporary former general, Lloyd Austin, thinks personally, because he is a real professional who, when he's in that position, he is going to uh, support the administration. To answer the question, are they too risk adverse? I think the answer is yes. And I think it, it manifests in mm-hmm. Ukraine. If we had gotten more advanced weapons earlier in the hands of the Ukrainians, F-16s, ATACMs, they're flowing now. Boy, we're almost two years into this thing. Could have gone sooner, risk averse. And same thing in uh, response to Iran. Mm-hmm. Iran continues to plink away at us, um, our contractors and, and soldiers ashore in the Middle East. Now these maritime assets, I think it's time to deliver a stronger, more military response to Iran. Interesting. And lastly, uh, Mark Thiessen outlined it first. You you go further. Most of the money that we spend in Ukraine, it stays here. This is U.S. Oh. money, right? Absolutely. And I complimented Mark on the column he wrote about that. I worked with Mark when I was chief of staff in the uh, in the Pentagon senior military assistant to Secretary Rumsfeld. Mark was his speechwriter. Mark is a smart uh, thinker, and he outlines perfectly why this makes financial sense. I wish I'd mentioned that earlier. Thanks for bringing it up. Tell Mark I said hello. Yeah, glad the Washington Post column explains it. It is no spin. It's fact. When you when you have Absolutely. American companies make these munitions off contracts, the, the money goes to these American companies because we're the only ones who can make it. It goes out to our allies, some of which are writing checks for it back. Hopefully that is uh, places like Taiwan, who's waiting actually for delivery. Uh, Admiral? A- Absolutely. Hey, last thought on that. Um, All of this strengthens our defense industrial base, which has to turn and spin and make new things and get them in the it's like it's like exercise, muscle movement. And we're not losing a single soldier in combat, but we're strengthening Mm. our defense and we're blocking Vladimir Putin. It's good value for the dollar. And I'm pushing my luck. I'm against the break. But Guyana, tell everyone why this matters. Venezuela is just going to take it. It's the biggest discovery of oil in, I think, 50 years. And Venezuela is just going to march there. They don't have a military. They are begging for our help. We've got to help the Guyanese. And Um, This is another example of people will say, well, why would we want to help a country I've never even heard of? And the answer is, if you don't, you are going to simply cede a huge chunk of money to another ruthless dictator, Nicolas Maduro from Caracas, Venezuela, another place where a little bit of effort early could stop a dictator. Right. I just hope we we have the ability to to look elsewhere. Admiral, thanks so much. Uh, You really helped our audience. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Say hi to Mark Thiessen for me. I will. You got it. Uh, When we come back, I'll take your calls, take your questions. 1-866-408-7669. I know you can write me, briankillme.com. Just click on comments. Don't move. 
Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is the fourth debate. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So shut up for a So do everybody a favor. Just walk yourself off that stage. Enjoy a nice meal. Yeah. And get the hell out of this yeah, race. He was learning about the provinces in Ukraine, sitting with his smart mouth at Harvard. If you're too timid to take on Trump, believe me, others will, get, will see that timidity. Xi, Putin and the Ayatollah the border crossers on the southern border, and the criminals in our streets. I've got these three guys who are all seemingly to compete um, with, you know, Voldemort. He or shall not be named. They don't want to talk about it. That is uh, Chris Christie was real strong last night. But there's, no, there's nobody doubts his debates but, uh, and his skills and his knowledge are off the charts. But only 28 percent of Republicans support him. And Donald Trump's got 82 percent, as uh, was pointed out last night. And it's Chris Chris came on this morning, sounded just as strong. But he's done this before. He speaks to Republican audiences against Trump. And one of the questions I asked him today, maybe we'll pull it later in the show, is, look, you agreed with him for three years, three and a half years. You know, when you didn't, you spoke up about it. For the most part, you liked his policies. So and you also said the reason why he might be slipping is not because of his age, but because of the stress he's under. So what changed? Is it just January 6th? And he said, no, there were some other things that happened along the way. But Chris Christie, as you know, played a valuable role in, in giving him suggestions and had a staff once he got the nomination. And Jared Kushner, as much as I like him, made a huge mistake in throwing it all in the garbage. That got Trump off to a terrible start. I thought for a while he was going to be chief of staff. I think it would have been great for uh, Trump to have him chief of staff. He would have been a great attorney general. But now I think that after watching last night, I'll play some of these clips maybe uh, from Mark Thiessen. You see him come to the aid of Nikki Haley. I thought that was pretty cool uh, because they're the personal attacks. You'll hear that. And I'm wondering if he's saying to himself, Nikki Haley's going to get the nomination. Maybe I can't. Uh, but if I don't get the nomination, man, I'd like to serve in the White House. And that's what he does. I think he's got a great personal. Uh, his personal career is going great. I think that he does want to serve, though, and he's still in his 50s. Uh, Mark Thiessen's coming up next, and Senator Tommy Tuberville. What an hour. So glad you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Nikki, you were bankrupt when you left the U.N. After you left the U.N., you became a military contractor. You actually started joining service on the board of Boeing, whose back you scratched for a very long time, and then gave foreign multinational speeches like Hillary Clinton is. And now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt. Yeah, what a stretch. I have not heard that from anyone, let alone Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, somebody else who wants to be president, Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for George W. Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. 
uh, Mark, uh, she wouldn't even acknowledge it. And then and then Vivek came up with a sign that said corrupt. You think that fits the description of Nikki Haley? No, not at all. My God, you know he Vivek Ramaswamy is what my old boss Jesse Helms used to call the uh, the South Side of a horse-headed North. Uh, it's just, uh, what what a what a jerk, you know. It, it, he he called Christie fat. He called her corrupt. This is a guy who took money from the Chinese Communist Party. From the from the from the from the same princelings who were funneling money to Hunter Biden, he was he was going into business with them, and he has the nerve to call Nikki Haley corrupt. I mean, he is such a joke. I honestly, the, and and the stuff that he was saying out there, the, the personal insults, everything. No no conservative with any self respect should give this guy a platform to speak after this race is over. He shouldn't have been on that stage. He has no chance of getting the Republican nomination. I, I honestly, I love Chris Christie. He's a great guy. He doesn't have a chance of the nomination. That should have been a DeSantis Haley debate. And every moment that we spent. Uh, focusing on Vivek Ramaswamy, what he said was a distraction uh, and, a, and a disgusting one at that. Here's what Chris Christie did when he heard one of those attacks. Cut nine. This is the fourth debate, the fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So <laughs> shut up for a while. We're now 25 minutes into this debate, and he has insulted Nikki Haley's basic intelligence. Not her positions, her basic intelligence. She doesn't know regions. She wouldn't be able to find something on a map that his three-year-old could find. Look, if you want to disagree on issues, that's fine. And Nikki and I disagree on some issues. But I'll tell you this, I've known her for 12 years, which is longer than he's even started to vote in a Republican primary. And while we disagree about some issues... Yeah, so, so we went on. He went on to say, you know, then they came back with a personal attack and Vivek says get off the stage and basically go have a meal, uh, commenting on Chris Christie's weight. So it got personal. But you could come back and say if you're a Vivek's fan, uh, well, you call me a blowhard. So essentially, I'm wondering what happened between those two, between the personal attacks between Vivek and Nikki Haley. And Nikki Haley looked at it and she had a strategy. Her strategy was don't fumble. Her strategy was I met with Jamie Dimon. I met with some higher ups. Uh, uh, in uh, Wall Street, don't fumble. Do you agree with that, Mark? That was a, that was her strategy. Don't fumble the ball. You're on a bit of a roll. She's she look. She's doing great. I think the fact. I thought you know the first twenty minutes was nothing but everybody coming after her, and she you know I think she had a good line when she said, "Thanks for the attention, fellas." Uh, you know, it, uh, they're going after her because she's surging. Uh, and you know the idea that like you know she's beholden to Wall Street executives. I mean, people people raise money from these people all the time. It's a, you know they're, they're the the fact is they're not giving to to the the other candidates, and that's why they're jealous. Uh, she she's she's surging because she has done well in these debates, because she has performed well, because what she's saying is resonating with the American people. And, you know, particularly on foreign policy, I was just at the at the Reagan Defense Forum in Simi Valley, and they just released their poll. Uh, they do an annual poll of foreign policy attitudes of the American people. And American, the American people are not isolationists. They're not, they, 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 the, the poll shows strong support 
bipartisan support for standing with Ukraine, for standing with Israel, for standing with Taiwan. It shows strong support for increasing defense spending. It shows strong support for the Reagan doctrine. Um, in fact, if you tell people, and the Reagan Institute poll shows, if you tell people that our support for Israel and Ukraine and Taiwan is part of a Reagan doctrine strategy of helping our allies defend themselves against aggression, poll, the support goes up by 10 points. So, you know, this idea that somehow she's out of step with the Republican Party and with the country is insane. They're the ones who are out of step with the with the Republican Party in the country. All right. Here's what President Biden said yesterday about Ukraine. Cut 31. Putin attacks a NATO ally if he keeps going and then he attacks a NATO ally. Well, we've committed as a NATO member that we defend every inch of NATO territory. Then we'll have something that we don't seek and that we don't have today. American troops fighting Russian troops. Well, I mean, that's true. And they, he will absolutely do that, in my uh, opinion. He's already infiltrating Georgia, Moldova. Uh, Lithuania says they expect to be somewhat infiltrated or attacked within five years. I get it. But the other thing is, I also believe the Republicans should demand border reform. Not just, I don't want just a wall and a more soft-sided tents and judges. Border reform. They've got to start working on these asylum issues. It could be done together. Mark, is it possible? It is possible, and they're 100% right for demanding it. Look, the the most devastating argument that the anti-Ukraine Republicans make, and they're a minority in the Republican Party, you know, they they do not have majority view, but but the most devastating argument they make is Joe Biden cares about Ukraine's borders more than our own. And the problem with it and why it's so devastating is because it's true. (laughs) He does care about Ukraine's borders more than than our borders. I care about both. And America is a superpower, and we can defend our own borders and also help Ukraine defend its borders against unjust aggression. These things are not incompatible. We're the most powerful superpower in the history of the world, the most powerful military in the, in the history of the world. We can do both. But when Biden refuses to secure our borders and allows you know, 1.7 million gotaways to come in this country, people, you know, when you're coming to the border right now, if you just hand yourself over to Border Patrol— you're fine. You get to stay. So why would you be a gotaway? It's because you're a criminal. It's because you're a terrorist. It's because you've got some reason why they would deport you. And so we've got to secure our border. And I think they should demand that he secure the border in exchange for this aid. They're absolutely right to do it. Right. And uh, President Biden, yesterday, uh, they want to do a a side deal on the border. No, the Democrats won't vote for it and they'll still get their aid. I believe that Israel's got to be funded. Most agree with that. Ukraine's got to be funded. uh, Less and less agree with that. And Taiwan's got to be supported. But Taiwan's problem is different. They ordered stuff a long time ago. We haven't delivered on it. We haven't had the capacity for some reason. But we want to get them some more aid. But, Mark, I got to ask you in, in the big picture, in terms of the actual legislation, You've been there before. Can they get this done in a week? And what do you want to see? Asylum changes, where if you come here illegally, you can't get in. Immediate deportation, funding for the financing of that deportation to their home countries. What do you plan on? What what would it look like? Well, first of all, let me challenge you in that you're saying that support for Ukraine is going down. There's more vocal opposition to Ukraine, but it's not. Again, the Reagan administration came out a year ago. 50% of Republicans supported giving aid to Ukraine. Today, it's unchanged. It's the same. 
despite the fact that we've had that that, that the anti-Ukraine Republicans have been have been agitating against it for a year, and the fact that 50 percent of Republicans support the, a policy of the Biden administration, even when it's being incompetently executed without a strategy for victory and all the rest of it, it shows that the, there is deep-seated right. support in the Republican Party for doing the right thing. So I just don't buy it. But look, it, the problem isn't just money in the in the border. Look. We don't actually need legislation to secure the border. Joe Biden has all the same laws and all the same funding mechanisms and all the same authorities that Donald Trump and Barack Obama had when they secured the border. It's a choice. It is a choice to, to, to not use those authorities. It is a choice to not uh, to, to, to abuse the asylum process. And so they have to have legislation. It's not just more money. It has to be forcing changes in policy. That that will that will allow us to do to uh, to actually to force this administration to actually secure the border. Right. So change in policy. Yeah. Some more financing to finish the wall uh, part. But it's a high tech wall. It's not just a it's not just a big uh, uh, full of pipes. It's this is a high tech wall. There's money there. They are selling it off on pennies on the dollar right now. It sits in the desert. Uh, Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Take take care. All right, uh, so Mark's got to run, and when we come back, we're going to be with Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. Interesting, because the senator backed off after a long period of time and decided, I'm going to back off and let these military promotions and advancements happen and retirements take place. Uh, It was all over this abortion stance with the Pentagon. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade here. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We didn't get what we wanted, and you know, just, when they when they change the rules, it's hard to hard to win. It's just unfortunate, the American people didn't get a voice. I'm releasing everybody. I still got a hold on. I think eleven four star generals. Everybody else is completely released from me. Finally, lifting his unnecessary and harmful holds on our nation's military officials. I'm happy that we can finally move forward and give these men and women the promotions they deserve. So Senator Tommy Tuberville joins us now. Senator, you in the eye of the storm for uh, hundreds of days. Uh, your goal was, can you explain to everyone, and what, would, what stopped you from achieving it? Well, well, I never dreamed, Brian, it would go for uh, almost a year. And uh, we were holding up people that needed to be promoted. I'll, you know, I'm a military brat, so there's nobody likes the military more than me and understands the need for it. I never dreamed when I put the hold on of a overreach of Joe Biden and changing the policy and taxpayers having to pay for something to do with abortion. I never dreamed that they would never negotiate. Um, and this, these people are evil. I mean, they care nothing about the military. They could have solved this and in, in an hour's meeting of sitting down and let's work out some details, but they, they wouldn't even meet. And so that was my first thing that I tried to do was negotiate for, for almost a year. But my whole uh, end game was I knew I could get it passed through the NDAA, which is the military budget, which will be voted on next week. Problem is we've always had an opportunity to sit down as a Senate and, and the House and Armed Services Committee, which I'm on, and vote for different subjects. I had Democrat votes, they were going to vote for me to leave the old policy in. Schumer found that out, and he says, no, we're not going to vote on it. I'm going to 
change the rules here and I'm going to make decisions what's in our budget for the year. I mean, you can't beat these people. And so after that, uh, I even had Republicans that were against me, you know, uh, they were, they were, they didn't want to, they want, they were going to vote to go around me and change the rules of the Senate of 200 years. And I said, we're not doing that. I'll fight it another day. And so I released them and, uh, they got what they wanted. Uh, the Democrats, uh, they got taxpayer-funded abortion in the military and executive overreach, but we will continue to fight. So do you regret it? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. I, I, it actually brought out a lot of people that uh, that I would never trust again. I mean, uh, you know, you're supposed to stand for something and you don't. But I tell you what, I had some Democrats that were on my side the entire time. It's just when you, you got a referee – that uh, changes the rule in midstream, you can't do it. But why would you not sit down, Brian, when you've got uh, all these people for promotion? Why would you not sit down, Coach? Let's work this out. Uh, let's, you know, at least try to work it out. They never intended to. They don't care anything about the unborn. We know that, the Democrats. They don't care anything about the military, to be honest with you. They're, they're destroying every day with the more wokeness that they're putting into it. You wouldn't believe the things that we see on Armed Services Committee. It's a uh, uh, you know, it's a disaster waiting to happen. But that being said, that's the reason elections have consequences. We've got to get a Republican back into the into the White House. If we don't, uh, we're going to lose our country. We might lose it anyway because we're so far gone at the border and with our foreign policy and our, our debt, our $33 trillion in debt going on 34 Senator Tuberville, I, you know, and one thing, too, is you guys got to get the Senate back. And that means Montana. Oh, yeah. That means West Virginia. That means possible Pennsylvania will be tough and possible Michigan. Uh, also, the, the Senate seat in Arizona very much up for grabs. How involved are you in, with this? Yeah, and I do agree with And we've got some great opportunities, Brian. We're going to do a lot of campaigning, a lot of fundraising. But I'm like you. You know, I, 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 you love the country. I love the country. I'm not a politician. I've been up for three years, Brian. But the one thing I have noticed is, you know, you can run the Senate and you can control the House. If you don't have that White House, you can't win. And we have got to win the White House. And I know they're after President Trump. You know I'm a Trump guy. He's the only guy I think can get us back on track because he doesn't care. I mean, he's going to do what's right for the country. He's not doing it for for lobbyists or whatever. We can't have a career politician. we got to get somebody that's going to stand up for the taxpayer for once. Once in the last right. three years, I would have loved to see somebody stand up for the taxpayer. That has not happened like President Trump did for four years. And they hated it, and they ran him out, and they got what they want. And now's the time to get it back. Because if we don't, it, it's, I mean, I, I'd hate to see what's going to happen to our country. Now it's front and center. you got 400 uh, promotions that are going to take place. Everything moves forward. But now it's front and center. It's got to be this package uh, of $100 billion to Israel, Taiwan, Ukraine. And you guys have said i got to get border in this. Here's the president yesterday, cut 32. Republicans have to decide if they want a political issue, if they want a solution at the border. Do they really want a solution? It cannot be sustained as it is now. We need a real solution. Does he really doubt that you guys want a solution at the border? I mean, I keep hearing you want a political issue. I don't know anybody seeing Bill Malusian or Griff Jenkins who feels good about a political Anything political coming out of the border. So what do you plan on doing, Senator Tuberville? Well, uh, finally, we got most of the Republicans on board and saying nothing. No money goes out of this country. We don't care where it goes until we fix the border. And the problem is everybody said, well, we build a fence for $8 billion. No, 
No. You've got to have policies and you have to have laws. The problem is this administration is lawless, Brian. They don't. We can put in all the laws in the world. They're not going to go by them. We have laws down there right now that the, that the Border Patrol, we talk to them weekly. They said, just let us go by the law. And, and the Biden administration and Mayorkas, who should be run out of this country, will not let them do that. They have an agenda in mind. Brian, we had 4,000 Chinese men, 15 to 35 years old, in the last couple of weeks have come across that border. Now, why do you think that's happened? And how in the hell do they get out of China to come over here? We are in trouble. And even Christopher May, whatever his name is for, for the FBI, is even saying he's on the Democrats' team. He's even saying we're in trouble. And so it is... Uh, it's, it's, I heard it's you guys had a very scary bottom. briefing uh, yesterday, counterterror briefing. Ray was direct, and there, you had, there was another briefing yesterday, and there's a five-alarm fire coming our way for the holidays. They uh, all multiple terror groups here. Oh, they're everywhere, Brian. Right. They're everywhere. We've let in over 10 million people, and we don't know who they are. And, and, and these people don't care. That, that, that's that's what amazes me. They do not care what happens. And you've got you've got senators that are Democrats from Arizona and California. What are y'all thinking? What are y'all thinking? Y'all just like power. You like you like to have a senator in front of your name. How about being an American for once? I mean, this makes you sick at your stomach. Understood. Uh, so, Senator, uh, we'll see what happens. Do you think they'll get some type of settlement uh, on the border? Something you guys will find acceptable before Christmas? No, no, it's not going to happen. Because they're bound and determined to keep funneling money through Ukraine back into whoever's pockets. Because it, I mean that's a disaster. We need to help Ukraine, but my God, folks, that money's not going to fight a war. It's going in people's pockets and going in to pay for the government of Ukraine. I mean, all we're doing is oh, pumping them up. And you know, I want to win that. I want to beat Senator, Russia back. Gotcha, uh, Senator. Thanks so much, Senator Tommy Tuberville in the Eye of the Storm. Thanks so much for helping us out. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. I come to you from Midtown Manhattan, uh, 48th and 6th, where it is uh, crazy. We've got a great tree. It has now become a tourist attraction and a magnet for these lunatics that want to rally for Hamas and the Palestinian cause. And on October 6th, you couldn't even tell that they wouldn't even... You wouldn't even know that they knew the Palestinian. There is a Palestinian cause, but suddenly it's everyone's cause. I believe uh, that they're getting paid. I would not doubt that there's someone financing all this, uh, the so-called surge to Brooklyn and everything like that. Uh, we're following the president, uh, the former president of the United States. The civil trial continues. He just made some remarks. We'll bring some of that back. And let me remind you, if you ever want the podcast, if you ever can't listen to live, go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. This hour, we're going to be joined by Jason Smith from the House Ways and Means Committee. He is the chairman and Ambassador David Friedman standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Like I said, I am willing to make significant compromises on the border. We need to fix the broken border system. It is broken. And thus far, I've gotten no response. And you broke it, and there's been nonstop response, including House hearings down at the border. Massive aid for two wars and three allies hangs in the balance as Republicans play a hard ball when it comes to their quest for massive border reform and a wall. This is worth the fight. Number two. There is no, no context 
in which the, you know, the genocide of the Jewish people can be condoned. And it's certainly not conducive to learning for the poor students. Pretty amazing, right? Uh, that is one of the UPenn board members, one of the trustees who just resigned uh, because of the despicable way in which they testify all these Ivy League leaders closing in on the mastermind in Gaza. While Ivy League presidents feel the heat for their poisonous testimony on Tuesday, and many major companies, including Barstool, says they will not hire from Yale or Harvard. I imagine many more quietly and publicly will follow suit. Number one. So Deliver you do you think he's big fit. result. You we should think. not nominate somebody he won't who's, answer. In, who's, who's almost 80 years old. Okay. He's afraid to answer. No, I'm not. He's, no, you have to. No. Either, either you're afraid or you're not listening. No, it's not. There's a simple you question. Wow, uh, that is how crazy it got yesterday. Christian DeSantis, debate four, was more personal than political as the final four contenders take on each other and the most punt when it comes to Trump outside Chris Christie. Next big date, six weeks in Iowa. Who will survive? We will have the highlights. Uh, Let's bring Ambassador David Friedman, one of the key people during the Trump administration and one of the reasons why the the Israeli capital was able to be recognized. We may have to move our embassy to Jerusalem where the capital of Israel is. Ambassador, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Great to be with you again. Ambassador, first off, what could you tell us on the progress uh, of the actual IDF in southern Gaza? Uh, The butcher, uh, they call him the butcher of Khan Yunus. He is surrounded. Uh, He was a former prisoner, 60 years old. This guy, Sinwar, who they said is the mastermind of the October 7th attacks. What could you tell us? Do you know? Uh, I think it's going really well. I think today was uh, was was a, a terrific day for the IDF. I just saw some footage of uh, 200 uh, Hamas terrorists surrendering uh, in Khan Yunus. Uh, they're all kind of, you know, lined up and uh, heading back to uh, being taken back to Israel for questioning. Got to believe that, you know, with that type of a wealth of uh, potential uh, intelligence, they will they will find uh, Sinwar shortly. And uh, you know, I, th- I think the um, uh, I think it, it may be a turning point in the war. Even I mean, I think it was really a good day today for the idea, and things are going well. Do you worry? Uh, do you worry about the humanitarian corridors for uh, now that the IDF is moving to the south, where they tell, where uh, you, where Israel has said that's where you move if you want to be safe? Now that they're in the north, do you worry about the corridors? No, I think they've created you know safe zones. They've created escape routes. I think you know it would be. Of course, it would be great if the Egyptians would uh, would allow some uh, some movement into uh, safe space in Egypt because uh, you know they're uh, they're right on the border as well. Um, uh, so far, that's been that's been a challenge. It's always been a challenge. It's been a challenge for years to get the Egyptians to help in uh, in Gaza. But um, yeah, look, I, I think that um, Israel is you know uh, taking extra. Extra care to uh, to to, uh, to keep these areas open. By the way, they're they're probably doing more, certainly a lot more than is in their you know military best interest. I mean, they're letting a lot of fuel come in, they're letting a lot of uh, you know a lot of other stuff come in. It's almost always commandeered by Hamas. I mean, uh, there's been some uh, you know footage coming out the last few days of, of, of Gazans basically turning on Hamas, and that's the other thing which I think is is helpful there. The people there are starting to realize um, just what kind of um, what kind of a calamity Hamas has brought upon the people of Gaza. And, and they're seeing it, you know, in real time as, as supplies come in. And then as soon as, you know, the, the suppliers are out of sight, Hamas comes and takes, takes all the food and takes all the fuel. So I think, um, I, I think the humanitarian efforts 
you know, they're not perfect, but if they're if they're if they're getting worse, it's only because Hamas is is making them worse. And I think that I think right. Israel's doing a pretty good job. What's going on behind the scenes in terms of pressuring uh, Netanyahu to finish this up? I, I get the sense there's a lot of pressure, um, and, and which which is. I think really lamentable because look, the, the, the quicker Israel wins this war, the quicker people's lives can start to get rebuilt. And and by by causing um, you know Israel to slow down, I mean by asking Israel to um, to use less air power and more and more you know house to house combat, you know they're, they're prolonging the battle. They're, they're, they're causing Israel to to put their own soldiers uh, at greater risk, and and it's not and it's not helpful. And frankly, you know Blinken is. Uh, is not qualified to you know to to make uh, military decisions to sit in the war cabinet and help and tell Israel how to make the military decisions. It's kind of ridiculous. I think Israel's tolerating it to a to a certain extent. They they kind of have to. I mean, the problem is for Israel is that you know they've used up so much ammo and so much uh, so much iron dome and so much rockets and you know they they they, they do need American help. And so <laughs> I think this is a, this is a constant um, point of point of friction and negotiation and. And, and, and resolution that you know goes on every single day with Israel. I, I wish I wish America would just leave Israel alone. I think that would be, frankly, the most humanitarian way to uh, to get this war over, destroy Hamas, and, and move on. But they do need our weapons. They do need Iron Dome and the other missile defense systems replenished. And we are mm-hmm. on the line of fire. Uh, you know, with the with these militias, these Iranian-sponsored militias in Iraq, Syria, and now the Houthi rebels shooting at commercial ships and our ships. Uh, so yeah. this is our fight, too. I'd love to have seen more strength in return. How would that resonate in the Middle East if we started showing a little bit more uh, aggression? Look, it's the only language that is understood in the Middle East um, is strength. And, you know, when, you know, uh, this isn't uh, this isn't uh, a hypothesis. This is proven. I mean, we, we saw that ourselves in our four years in government, you know, when when we brought Iran to the brink of bankruptcy, and when we took out the Qasem Soleimani, yeah. uh, we know, we knew, we knew as a matter of fact that the Iranians were were concerned. They were they were pulling back. They were realizing that they had to limit their malign activity because things would just get worse for them. When when Biden came in and he uh, you know opened up the spigot for uh, oil sales, he made Iran a very rich country. They took all the money and they didn't they didn't use it to, you know to build hospitals or schools. They used it to, to buy more missiles and fund more malign activity. So. You know, it's it's the the um, the pressure we put on Iran is directly proportional to the to the level of of quiet in the Middle East. The more pressure, the more quiet. The less pressure, the more things uh, flame out. And of course, because because Biden, you know, has uh, has failed in Afghanistan and failed with uh, Russia and Ukraine, he can't open up another front. He can't allow another front to open up. So he's tiptoeing around the Iranians, and that's only empowering. The uh, the terrorists around the region, whether it's the Houthis right. or the or Hamas or Hezbollah, he's just making them more 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 empowered and more bullish, and, For, and of course it's uh, going the wrong way. Former Israeli ambassador, uh, the U.S. ambassador to Israel, uh, David Friedman, with us. David, I'm sure you saw the testimony for these these presidents of Harvard, Yale, uh, MIT uh, earlier this week has created quite outrage around the country. Barstool founder Dave Portnoy vows to not hire anyone from Harvard or Penn. There's a big push to have the Penn. Uh, president fired, and one of their key trustees has just resigned. Von Gregorian, cut 22. Mm-hmm. It's time to actually be a working trustee and to speak up when things aren't right and not rubber stamp, you know, what goes on. Just because the chairman of the board says it's the thing to do or the president says it's the thing to do, in your heart, if you know it's wrong, you need to step up and say that it's the wrong thing. So he's out. 
uh, and many other people are out. Tell me what are your thoughts about this anti-Semitic behavior that they refuse to condemn uh, and to uh, push back against. What was your thought about that testimony? Well, you know, look, thank God Congress did that. Kudos to, uh, to all the members of Congress who, who pushed back, uh, Republicans and Democrats. I think it was a turning point. I think it was really a turning point, maybe in American history, because these universities are so influential in the future leadership of our country. And I think, you know, I, 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 I said this on Twitter. I think, you know, what happened here is, you know, the Ivy League died, you know, there. I mean, people just looked at it and said, what, what in the world are people paying $100,000 a year? For this kind of an education, you know, the emperors have no clothes. I mean, these people are, are, are truly are, are not just, you know, bad educators, but they're, they're truly filling, you know, our students, you know, the future leaders of America with poison. And um, I, I was struck, Brian, by how poorly prepared they were, by how smug and arrogant they were. I mean, they have lawyers. They, they were completely lawyered up. They had PR firms giving them advice. They just completely blew it. They, they looked at these congressmen as if they were beneath them, as if these issues were beneath them, as if they knew better than anybody. And it was a great window. It was an incredible window, you know, into the workings of, you know, you know, the elite academia in this country. And it was really found to be, I think, you know, lacking in, in value, any values at all. So I think right. this could, you know, I think I was heartened by it because I think people now could see, you know, what it's like. And remember, you know, when it comes to MIT, Harvard and um and Penn and others, you know, probably 98% of the people who apply get rejected. So you're starting off with an angry crowd, you know, don't like them to start with, you know. And then on top of that, you know, you see what they're, what they're teaching kids. I thought it was a, uh, an incredible day in, yeah. uh, in, in American history. And, and I just need these Jewish kids need to be protected right away. Ambassador David yeah. Friedman, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, back in a moment. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Liberals are so stupid the way that they handle Trump. You know, you you should shut up. He's a narcissist. Neutral energy. Yeah. You think, he'd, you think he'd go away? If you know what I think he was? I think he was a one-hit wonder. Uh-huh. Right? He wrote the twist. Uh-huh. And then that was it. He was on the casino circuit, and then you yeah. idiot liberals wrote him twist again yeah. when you indicted him. And yeah. now he's a martyr. And now he's, he's coming back, Jimmy. And, and he went on. That is uh, Bill Burr, one of the great comedians out there, who re- he and his wife dislike Trump, but don't know who they're going to pick now, and just said... By constantly haranguing him with these lawsuits and now with the indictments and the charges, you've made him a martyr. Look, how else do you explain that he has come from neck and neck with Ron DeSantis right after the 2022 election to on with the polls? And I don't want to be a hypocrite and all of a sudden believe all the polls because I don't. And plus, in Iowa, I've been in experience. If I didn't experience the caucuses firsthand, I would think of a polls a poll and a primary is a primary and a caucus is a caucus. But I sat in those rooms. And I watch people get up and go, you got to vote for Marco Rubio. Let me tell you the type of Marco Rubio I know. And let me look at Governor Christie. And you have to go ahead and and go for Mitt Romney. I'm thinking to myself, wow, these people are really at many rallies here. And if you fill the right room with the right people, you could convince people. So that makes it so unique. So if there's something comes down that uh, on Donald Trump that surprises everybody and he's back down to his core rather than every Republican, he's got you know, over 80 percent of all Republicans supporting him. It could be a different story. But if I believe the polls and he takes if he takes Iowa convincingly, it's Ron DeSantis is done. He's got the governor 
has got the top evangelical leader in Van, in Bob Vanderplatt, and then he's gone to 90, 99 counties without a strong ground game in New Hampshire. So that would leave uh, Vivek, who is uh, Trump-like, and then you have Chris Christie, who's not going to have the funding, I don't think, to stay on the stage next time out. I don't think he's going to have the polls, even if he does have the funding. And then it would just it would leave Nikki Haley one-on-one. So I think she's playing it tactically pretty smart. Personally, I do. And the President of the United States, former President of the United States, got his town hall on Tuesday, so you got the chance to uh, hear from him. Here's Chris Christie on the man that many people did not want to bring up last night, and I understand tactically why, but here's Chris Christie, cut 22. Cut 10, cut 10. I think it's completely predictable. I mean, look, he's made it very clear. There's no mystery to what he wants to do. He started off his campaign by saying, I am your retribution. Eight years ago, he said, I am your voice. This is an angry, bitter man who now wants to be back as president because he wants to exact retribution on anyone who has disagreed with him, anyone who has tried to hold him to account for his own conduct. And every one of these policies that he's talking about are about pursuing a plan of retribution. And yet, at the first debate, my three colleagues on this stage, when asked if he would be convicted of federal felonies, would they still support him, raise their hand, looked into the camera, and let everybody know that they would still support him, even if convicted of federal felonies. Because he believes, and, and like a lot of people, this is all trumped up. They waited two years to file him. Jack Smith is, is just enraged. He's got Trump derangement syndrome. Came back from The Hague to prosecute Trump. He didn't come back to investigate. He came out to prosecute, flipped his lawyers. Now they got a bunch of charges. Now there's some investigation going on that the Georgia prosecutor was trying to get the January 6th transcripts uh, before there was even charges done. So she was out investigating. She was out hunting, hunting for maybe a trophy for a trophy case. I'm not saying that Donald Trump is clean in any or all these cases. I'm saying that this is a overaggression, especially in the civil trial right now, to go after Trump. I don't see it. And that's what a lot of people are saying. Listen, what I'm seeing right now, a guy clearly having problems walking, talking, and the policies are terrible. The foreign policies on fire. The world's on fire. I'll go with the other guy. The question is, will it be somebody else in that party? That's where I disagree with Chris Christie. President of the United States is not doing anything different than he did in 2016. He says, I'm your retribution, I'm your voice. He's saying, listen, we got sidelined. He believes the election was stolen. I don't believe it was stolen. I believe that you manipulated certain things. There were certain things that broke their way during the pandemic. I don't believe the election was stolen. But that's what he's saying. And uh, you, you had even said it himself. He came out and said, look, Donald Trump is a lot of things. But... In terms of this whole narrative of he's going to be a dictator like Napoleon, cut 16. Donald Trump says a lot of things. They're often very funny and they're often, huh. But you know what? He has four years behind him. He's not a dictator. He's not an authoritarian. He's not good. There are no army in the field. It's just silly to me. It just strikes me as silly. And that's what he did last week on One Nation, which is going to be Saturday. Uh, this Saturday, we've got Dave Portnoy coming on amongst our great guests. So, and he's, he made a major announcement about Barstool not hiring anyone from MIT, Harvard, or University of Pennsylvania because of what he saw with the, those presidents. But Dave Portnoy is going to be on, like many people, uh, looking at this and say, yeah, you want to go after Trump? Go through his four years. Go after how many people he rotated through. Uh, go after you don't like the fact that he died in an election. But don't say that he's going to be an authoritarian because there's limits to his power. And people are saying, well, he's going to hire a bunch of people that uh, – 
that he likes, all his friends. Yeah, that's what people usually do. Harry Truman brought people in from Kansas. Bill Clinton brought people in from Arkansas. Uh, George Bush brought experience and his friends into key positions. Donald Trump's going to have a much better idea of who belongs where. But that doesn't mean he's going to be a dictator. And I feel like you, you, it does. There's a lot of things criticized about Donald Trump. Don't say if he wins, he's going to become a king and he's not going to leave. The most ridiculous thing I've heard is if he wins, he's not going to leave him for you. He's going to stay forever. Same possible. I mean, he's going to be 82 years old. He's going to get back to his life. That's it. And, and the thing is, I don't think he wants it. I'm not even convinced he wants it this time. He wants to. He does want to get his four years he believes belonged to him four years ago. That's it. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Can you explain to the Americans, uh, to Americans at this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brothers, foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and it's just a bunch of lies. Didn't interact with many of their business associates. I did not. There's lies. So I'm not going to comment, but they're all lies. Uh, they're not all lies. Just like 51 Intel agents said it was on my son's laptop when we know you knew it was your son's laptop. It was your voice on the voicemail there. These were emails to you. But Leon Panetta and everybody else didn't even pick up the phone to say, hey, Joe, before I sign my name on this, is it yours? Is it your son's? Are these your emails? Is it, is, am I sure that I'm not ruining my reputation? And now, after finding the pseudonym emails interacting with uh, Sherwin, uh, Eric Sherwin, who is the uh, basically the family accountant and other business partners where he attended lunches, he's still holding to. He never discussed business with his son. How long will that stand? The chairman of the Ways Committee, Committee joins me right now, Congressman Jason Smith. Congressman, what are your thoughts when the president said all lies? Well, Brian, President President Biden repeatedly said he had no knowledge of his son's business dealings, but but we now have 327 emails that prove other, otherwise. The the docs that we released this week in the House Ways and Means Committee came from the two IRS whistleblowers, and there was 54 emails, 54 emails that was President Biden himself to Eric Schwerin that you just mentioned. Eric Schwerin is the architect of all those shell companies that was created to to move millions of foreign money throughout and then tapered out to different Biden family members. But there was 54 emails, just him to Eric Schwerin. That, that, that right there is more than enough. And five of those emails, Brian, was right before they went on the trip in June to Ukraine in 2014. And then 27 other emails was right before the trip that he went to Ukraine in November of 2014. And why is he using a pseudonym? And was he using a, 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 a government server? He's absolutely, you know, the reason why he's using those alias names, and there was three different ones that we saw that they used here, it's just to keep it private so people don't know that it's him. That's that's how, I mean, it's just like how they have 20-plus shell companies to transfer and hide money. Apparently, there's there may be 20-plus different email addresses that the president uses. I mean, we're trying to figure that one out. That's why you see Jamie Comer having um, – having issues just getting the the thousands of emails right now. Right now, I understand that there's um, 
The National Archives gave you 82,000 pages of emails and documents uh, that was sent to received under President Biden's alias while he was vice president. How many have you gone through? We haven't received those emails. They, they, that's been blocked by the Obama administration and also the Biden administration. So that is something that we are battling right now to get those. The 327 that we received was from the IRS whistleblowers during their investigation. The IRS whistleblowers testified two days ago in our committee saying that they didn't realize who Robin Ware was. And the other aliases, the fake names Joe Biden had, until Jamie Comer came out with the fake aliases, and then they saw all this. So they didn't even know that in their investigation. So you need uh, is Joe Biden just saying their lies? What is he? What is he saying is a lie? Uh, they said that yeah, the, the I, payments that you guys found were car payments. Is that plausible? Brian, um, he's just trying to distract. Apparently, he's not looking at all the facts that we brought forward. We have documentation, more than 1,100 pages from these IRS whistleblowers that show that President Biden dined with Hunter Biden and his associates. We, we see that he's traveled to uh, two events with Hunter Biden and his associates. We've even seen that he wrote letters of recommendation for Hunter Biden's associates. So that sure doesn't sound like someone who's not deeply involved. Plus, there's numerous examples of where Air Force Two was used to fly to Ukraine, to fly to Mexico, and they were all wrapped around issues that helped benefit the Biden family. We also know the $40,000 check that was, quote, a loan repayment from James Biden to Joe Biden right. that was ultimately 10 percent to the big guy that came to one of the original um, companies that came from the Chinese company that was all wrapped around the WhatsApp message that said, I'm sitting right here next to my father waiting for your response. And then six Six, eight weeks later, this money pops up. So I want you to hear what James Comer said to Sean last night about the difference between the way the Bidens are treated and the Trumps. Cut uh, 42. The Democrats have the Democrats on the Oversight Committee have obstructed this credible investigation just as much as the Biden legal team, just as much as the as the mainstream media and and all these government agencies who are supposed to be investigating. But we're going to hold Hunter Biden accountable if he doesn't show up for the subpoena. Sean, we looked and the and Donald Trump's immediate family testified in depositions on the January 6th committee for 18 hours, 18 hours. Donald Trump's family showed up for depositions when they were subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. But the Bidens think they're, you know, the law doesn't apply to them, that, that they're special and they, they aren't going to show up. I mean, there's more evidence now about Hunter Biden than, than most criminals that have to show up for depositions in big time legal cases. So uh, he's going to be there or we're going to hold him accountable. Your thoughts about that uh, and the comparison between the two families? We clearly have seen, especially the Justice Department, throughout this uh, IRS investigation, the Hunter Biden taxes, definitely treating the Biden family a whole lot different. There were several leads, according to the IRS whistleblowers, and they testified this week once again. There were several leads that was, was going directly to Joe Biden, and the Justice yeah. Department refused those leads. What we did find out is Kevin Morris, this Hollywood attorney yeah. that um, – that paid more than $2 million worth of 
Hunter Biden's unpaid taxes. We have an email that he sent three weeks before Super Tuesday back in February of 2020 saying that we need to get these tax returns paid off or it faces personal and political risk. The political risk only relies to one person. That's Joe Biden. It was three weeks before Super Tuesday, which ultimately decided he was the nominee, the Democrat nominee to office. Right. The, the whistleblowers, Brian, said that they believe that there's potential campaign finance crimes, and they wanted to investigate that. The Justice Department said no. So I want you to hear what Ron DeSantis said. You know, he's running for president. Opening an inquiry based on the, the facts that we have, I think would be justifiable. However, I think they run the risk of doing an inquiry that doesn't necessarily lead anywhere while they've been ignoring a lot of the problems that our voters are talking about. When I'm going through Iowa, Republican voters obviously are not fond of Joe Biden. Yes, they're concerned about Hunter and all this money, but they're more concerned about what's happening at our border. They're more concerned about what's happening with the economy. They're more concerned about federal agencies that are overstepping their bounds. And so if you're doing the inquiry, which, again, I think is justifiable, you also have to be addressing all these other issues. So he's worried about the impeachment. He saw what happened with Clinton. Numbers went up. So what happened with Trump when they went after him in Ukraine. Numbers went up. You guys only have a two or three seat majority, depending on the day and a few special elections. I don't think you got moderates on board. Are you worried about putting this thing up for a vote like the speaker wants to and then losing? We won't lose. Um, we are we are 100 percent behind um, an impeachment inquiry. Allowing us to have the impeachment inquiry gives us more more strength when we're battling this administration. The White House has told us that they will not provide documents, they will not provide witnesses until there's an official vote. We're doing this an official vote because there's still so many documents, so many witnesses that have to come, come before us that we need answers to questions. But you know what? Back to what Governor DeSantis said, I served with him in the House. We can walk and chew gum, and that's in fact what the Ways and Means Committee has been doing. We've passed tax legislation. We've passed the most bipartisan trade agreement with Taiwan, plus we're doing oversight. Walking and chewing gum is what most Republicans are able to do. I hope Ron DeSantis can do the same thing. Congressman, your thoughts about Kevin McCarthy leaving can't be that much of a surprise, but he was your chief fundraiser, and I know popular with 96 percent of the caucus. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is a dear friend of mine, someone who I respect and admire, and he was not treated appropriately by just a handful of Republicans. And he was such a team player. He was the person who led the effort for us to win the majority. If it wasn't for Kevin McCarthy leading the effort to have the majority, we wouldn't even be where we're at today. If it wasn't for Kevin McCarthy starting this impeachment inquiry, we wouldn't be where we're at today. We're going to miss him. Uh, the country is going to miss him. He's uh, He's been a great public servant, but I don't blame him for wanting to move on. But that seat, are you worried about losing that seat? Not at all. That's a that's a pretty safe seat in okay. California, and I think we'll be fine there. All right. Uh, next step before I let you go, uh, Congressman Jason Smith. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Your what next your, your your next step. Your right now on the investigation. Absolutely. Our next step. We have several individuals that we've asked to come before us that we need additional information. To me, I am very interested, Brian, in all these, like, quote, loans that 
um, the president's apparently been paid for. We had the IRS whistleblowers testify this week saying they had no documentation of any loans. Well, you know what? If you're granting $240,000 worth of loans, there should be interest income reported on your taxes. But it doesn't appear that any, any of the public tax records of President Biden, is there any reported interest income? We need to see those documents. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Congressman Jason Smith, uh, he is uh, chairman of the Ways and Means, one of the busiest guys around in an important position. Thanks, Congressman. Thanks, Brian. Take care. All right, you got it. one 408 7669 I do want to talk a little bit more about that debate, uh, the ongoing war in Israel, uh, some of the dynamic things happening with our economy. So don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is rich because when she was governor of South Carolina, she was the number one ranked governor of bringing the CCP into her state. She wrote a love letter to the Chinese ambassador saying how great a friend China is. You can look at it. We put it on our website, rondesantis.com. There's also a video of her as governor standing in front of a Chinese flag with a Chinese business saying that she now works for them, talking about this Chinese company. So she's been very weak on China. Now, here's the problem. The rhetoric is different, but the one one. Her donors, these Wall Street liberal donors, they make money in China. They are not going to let her be tough on China, and she will cave to the donors. She will not stand up for you. He continues to lie about my record. I actually said his don't say gay bill didn't go far enough because it only talked about gender until the third grade. And I said it shouldn't be done at all, that that's for parents to talk about. It shouldn't be talked about with schools. In reference to donors coming on board, look, we will take support from anybody we can take support from. But I have been a conservative fighter all my life. The governor had a good night, but she tried not to fumble last night. I don't think that... I think it was pretty clear to her that she's got a role, a role for the number two slot. I mean, for the people that show up on stage and do most of the campaigning, she's been the best. I mean, she has surged because she has worked really hard. Governor DeSantis, too, he's gotten better every day. But most of the big money is now seeing is going with uh, Nikki Haley. But I think a lot has to do, too, with beating Donald Trump, not beating Donald Trump head to head, but beating Joe Biden head to head. Right now, they just did a, a study. Who spent more time campaigning? 55 days for Trump in Iowa. DeSantis, 79 days. Haley, 87 days. Ramaswamy, 145 days. Christie, 35 days. Asa Hutchinson, 84 days. I think he's still in, technically. But look at what it relates to in terms of polling. Trump's got 59.8% of the vote. DeSantis, 13. Haley, 105 Ramaswamy, 5.1. Christie, 2.9. So I think the fact is everybody knows Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, in many ways, is like, listen, I'm the front runner. I don't need to be out there every day. I don't need to be calling into shows like I had to do in 2015. I don't need to be in the center of, the, uh, the center of attention. Also, the court cases, much to his chagrin, kind of take care of that. So the debate, I think, overall, what I think, Nikki Haley was fine. Ron DeSantis was strong. The most conversant, the most interesting is Chris Christie. Vivek Ramaswamy is just a fringe candidate. Extremely bright, 37 years old, a different perspective. 
but I don't want to live in a world in which we don't stick up for Ukraine, that we don't back up our allies, that we give Israel the weapons, but we don't have this thick alliance with them, that we don't see right and wrong with Hamas. I don't see it. I see the relation between Ukraine, Russia, China, and Iran. I don't think there's any doubt about it. To me, it's pretty clear. So the bottom line is people are flipping out that Donald Trump is back. They are flipping out that Joe Biden most likely is going to be the nominee. I'm one of those people convinced that he is, even though Donald Trump said he's not going to be. But guess what else is happening? It looks like that Joe Biden was not going to debate. Those were his so-called handlers were saying. Here's Quentin Folks, Biden's principal deputy campaign manager. Cut 18. The Commission on Presidential Debates now has a schedule out. Is the president committed to participating? At the end of the day, we're focused on building a campaign. Uh, we'll have those conversations. Uh, but right now, uh, our focus is on making sure we continue to build out a campaign and the infrastructure that's going to be able to be competitive in 2024. So that's enough. You have not committed. No, I said that the campaign is going to take a look at the schedule and we can have those conversations. But as of right now, our focus remains on building out a campaign and infrastructure while the Republicans remain in a divisive primary where their front runner is not attending debates. Our campaign is focusing on what we need to do to win an election next year. Wow. I mean, very simple. Yeah, we're going to look at Yeah, we plan on attending the debates. Uh, you don't love the dates. You do love the dates. But right now, they've had a very timid campaign. You don't hear much about it. They're always under the wire. Trump was uh, reelecting, uh, trying to get reelected the day he got the office the first time around. Here's more. Cut 19. I don't think any American person cares how, Joe, how old Joe Biden is when it comes to if they can get reproductive freedom in their state. I don't think they care when it comes to is gas cheaper or if inflation is coming down. I think that that's what American people are focused on. And while the media continues to try to make it seem as the American people are focused on how old the president is or what he might say versus Trump's who's saying he's going to be a dictator while he's already taken away their freedom and is quite frankly bragging about it through paid media and in his rhetoric and speeches and all across the country um, is a very monolithic view and one that does not do justice to the American people when it comes to what they want. Well, anybody who listened to Donald Trump with Sean Hannity knows that he said, I'll be a dictator on the first day by saying, drill, I'm going to build a wall. Uh, I'm going to uh, crack down on immigration. That's what he was saying. And Donald Trump knew he was going to be misconstrued. I think he has fun with it. But for us who speak Trumpese, who anybody else has been watching, he didn't say I'm going to be a dictator. He didn't say I'm bypassing Congress. He didn't say I'm not going to uh, leave the office. That didn't, none, of the, none of that came up. In fact, the guy seems kind of happy these days. And the reason why Chris Christie didn't get the answer that they think that Donald Trump is incompetent in 77 and shouldn't be running, he said he was younger with the new generation. But Donald Trump is not incompetent. You might not like him. You might not agree with him. Uh, he might not campaign as much, but I think at the end he'll end up will be if he has to. But it's pretty much the same guy. So you decide if you want him. I don't think Joe Biden could say I'm the same guy. Plus, we didn't really get a look at him in 2020. Now we're getting a look. You can't turn away. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, home of two Christmas trees. I like ours best. 1211 6th Avenue. They got one at Rockefeller Plaza. But with us, I think it's, it's been such a tourist attraction. Uh, of course, two years ago, it made a lot of news because someone lit it on fire. 
which is kind of interesting approach to Christmas. This hour, we're going to be joined by Eric Prince, Blackwater founder and former Navy SEAL. Also, just let me remind you, this weekend, uh, Friday night, will be with everybody uh, from WHIO over in Dayton, Ohio. If you can't get tickets, just go to BrianKilme.com, and I can personalize it right by my house and get it out to you. Uh, also, on Saturday, we're going to Kentucky, and Sunday, we're going to Charlotte, North Carolina. To make your reservation, just go to BrianKilme.com. Before we get to Delano Squires, uh, let's get to our big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Like I said, I am willing to make significant compromises on the border. We need to fix the broken border system. It is broken. Right. Uh, Thus far, I've gotten no response. Yeah, they got a lot of response, but they they want actually some reforms in terms of asylum, Mr. President. Massive aid for two wars and an ally is in the balance as Republicans say, yeah, you'll get it. If you give us massive border reforms, we're talking about over $100 billion. Uh, This is worth the fight, fellas. Hang in there. Number two. There is no, no context in which the, you know, the genocide of the Jewish people can be condoned. And it's certainly not conducive to learning for the poor students. Uh, There you go. Uh, That is the... A UPenn Board of Trustees member who's now resigned after that horrible display by these university presidents when it comes to cracking down against anti-Semitism on their campuses. Also, they're closing in on the mastermind of the October 7th attack over in Gaza. We'll keep you updated. Number one. So you do you think he's big fit. Result. You do we should think. not laminate somebody he won't who's, answer. In, who's, who's almost 80 years old. Okay. He's afraid to answer. No, I'm not. He's, no, you have to no. either, either you're afraid or you're not listening. No, it's not. There's a simple question. Governor Christie and Governor DeSantis going at it. Debate number four was more personal than political. The four contenders that are left will probably never be at uh, on the stage again together. Next, uh, next up is Iowa six weeks away. We'll see who's going to survive to take on President Trump. Delano Squires joins us now, research fellow at the Richard and Helen DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and the Family uh, at the Heritage Foundation. Delano, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. So, is this Trump's to lose? Do you are you one person that believes in the polls? What's happening right now? <laughs> it it certainly seems like it's Trump's to lose. Uh, a, a sort of presumptive nominee who's this far ahead of the field. Uh, I can understand why he does. He feels no need to debate, uh, and it seems like a good portion of the conservative base has coale- coalesced around him. So, uh, it seems like it's his to lose. We will see what the current court cases that are against him. You know whether they have an effect, but. Uh, if come next February, uh, you know, the, the president is facing even more, <clears throat> excuse me, even more cases and or looks like he may be headed to uh, federal prison. That is going to open up some very interesting discussions in, in the conservative base. Do people let you believe that they're actually going to be doing that, possibly heading to federal prison? Trump? I mean, I've heard people who say that that he's going to be convicted. Uh, I, I'm not following any of the cases close enough to to know whether that's true, but it's certainly uh, a possibility that that is out there. So, um, but again, the president is so far ahead in the polls that it's, it's the former president seems like he has no need or desire to debate. And then plus, given his personality, if you put him on a debate stage, no one knows exactly what he will say, and I'm sure that would make his lawyers very, very, very nervous. Uh- I get that sense it's maybe happening now uh, because today he had a presser before his before his civil trial, and he's going back on the stand December 12th, so it's going to be interesting. How do you explain his surge when these cases started, when he was basically neck and neck with DeSantis in 2022 after those midterms? 
I think people underestimate how popular Donald Trump is. He, he's one of the few presidential candidates that I can think of in history who had uh, almost ubiquitous name recognition before he even entered his race. Um, he's extremely popular. He was in 2016. He's only grown more popular uh, among uh, the, the conservative base. And I believe people, many of his supporters, see the, the cases and charges against him as as acts of persecution and have made them more resolute to support him moving forward. The last poll I saw said he's getting he got 8 percent of the black vote, which is more than Mitt Romney and John McCain. The last poll I saw up to 20 percent. Mm. What's changed? Well, in, in 2020, he, I think he got between 18 and 20 percent of the black male vote. Uh, and that was a significant number for, for Republicans. Uh, I think other you know, black voters have become um, disillusioned with President Biden. Uh, I, I don't necessarily buy the, the, the take that Trump's criminal uh, difficulties make him more appealing to, to black people because, you know, we have such hard times in the criminal justice system. I don't necessarily buy that. Uh, but I think a lot of people are drawn to his message, and, and I think that cuts across different ethnic groups. What do you think is his message? I mean, it's the, the, I felt the feeling that you're being attacked unjustly. Do people see eye to eye with that? Is that the way it's being interpreted? I think part of it is that. 91 charges? Part of it could be that, but I think, for instance, if you look in, in a lot of cities in Chicago and New York immediately come to mind, there are growing numbers of black residents in those cities who are completely fed up with the current administration's um, immigration policies. And they see migrants coming from, from Central and South America who are taking over school buildings. I saw in Chicago they had some, you know, in, in a police station, and they feel like their uh, voting power is being diluted, and they don't feel like their needs right. as citizens are being prioritized. What about you? How would you describe yourself politically? That's a good question. I, I, I certainly would describe myself as conservative. I, I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christian conservative, and I think that uh, modifier is extremely important. Uh, I'm not a mammon conservative, so I don't serve markets. I don't think corporations are are, are idols to be worshipped. Um, but just personally and professionally, I, I'm the type of person that I will likely vote for whoever the most conservative candidate is that's, that's left in the race. You know, I look at uh, Alan West. I look at uh, Senator Tim Scott. I look at Byron Donalds, uh, Burgess Owens mm-hmm. over the last few years. Uh, Mia Love, too. And I see more and more uh, African-Americans who seem to be more comfortable in the conservative lane. After reading about Booker T. Washington and seeing what he did at the turn of the 20th century, Mm. that seems to be the way he was. As bad as his life was, he wanted to see his way through uh, and make it better. Rather than condemn the situation, how do I make it better? Is that your attitude? Very much so. Uh, and, and just like within the broader sort of conservative movement, even within sort of the slice that's black conservatism, um, that word means different things to different people. So there's some people who are much more on the economics and entrepreneurship side. There's some people who are more socially conservative. Uh, for me, my foundations of conservatism, because I'm thinking about what I what is good to conserve, are, are faith and family. So that's why a lot of my work is around marriage, family, fatherhood. Um, and and faith. And then from there, you can build education, economics, prosperity. Uh, But I I always start with sort of the same foundation. You know, what's kind of interesting is there's a difference. There's programs to help you, and Mm -hmm. there's there's programs just to not get in your way. It seems like a a lot of programs were created uh, reportedly to help, 
and they seem to hurt. And when when the president of the United States said, you know, what do you have to lose? People go, that's not a program. Don't say that. Right. But yeah, a lot of people didn't reject that 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 uh, that statement. And, and I know this very well because before coming to Heritage Foundation, I worked almost 15 years in local government in Washington D.C. Not federal, but local government. Um, I did all sorts of you know public facing jobs, um, you know, tech classes for kids, for ex offenders, for for adults, and then my last year in the Office of Gun Violence Prevention. So I'm. I've seen the way government programs, some can help people, um, but many also can hurt people because they condition people to be to become uh, dependent on elected officials and unelected bureaucrats. So for me, I, much of my conservatism is not answering the question or asking the question, what are you going to do for me? It's asking the question, what are you going to stop doing to me? So. In the in the uh, with the headline, I'm helping you. Correct, correct, correct. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, just cuts across the board, particularly in, in, in city centers. Um, the way that the left stands behind sort of the K through 12 public education establishment, particularly teachers unions, and they say we need to fully fund schools. And Randy Weingarten says if we fund all the schools fully, we're going to raise results. But you can't find many Democrats who will support um Education savings accounts, universal school choice, school vouchers, even some don't even like charter schools. And they will consign their voters, largely black and Hispanic, largely low income, to schools where 1% of kids can read or do math at grade level. Now, their children will never go into those schools unless they're doing a service project that they can put on an Ivy League application. But they have no problem uh, taking votes from, from black and Hispanic voters and then turning around and saying, we're going to fight against the school's that, that you all need uh, in order for your kids to achieve a better life than you have. So what you're saying, by the way, I'm talking to Delano Squires, who's a research fellow uh, at the DeVos Center, and also he uh, was with the Heritage Foundation. Delano, so for example, if people really cared about results, they look at charter schools, and it's a longer day, oftentimes more disciplined, a harder workload, sometimes uniforms, uh, and the demands are greater. Sometimes the travel's even greater. But the results are there. So if you say I'm going for minority, I want to help minorities, you cannot say school choice. You are against school choice. Those two th- don't gel. Uh, absolutely. And it's funny. I mean, I grew up in Queens, and I can I don't know anybody who had a longer commute than I had. It was an hour and 45 minutes on two buses within my same borough. So Where'd you go? Uh, Cardoza High School. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so ch- charter school. Now, when I was um, a teenager, charters were, I mean, it wasn't a thing, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. But now, again, being in D.C., um, roughly about 45% of D.C. kids go to charter schools. So um, they have grown in popularity. And you know that they want them. But they got green lighted to do more, but there's a huge slowdown right now yes. with this governor not yes. doing it, not yes. funding it. Yes. And it was the same when, when de Blasio was here, and he, he was standing. He was against, the worst. Right. Against Success Academy and, and other charters that wanted to expand. And you have waiting lists thousands of people long um, because the parents want that education and want opportunities for their kids. So the debate that was that I have in the book, Teddy and Booker T, is between W.E.B. Du Bois mm-hmm. and, and Booker T. Washington. Mm-hmm. And but W.E.B. Du Bois' primary complaint about Booker T was too compliant. He was too right. accommodating. What he says, no, no, I got a school in the South, segregated South, where there's uh, poll taxes and there's lynchings and there's Jim Crow. I'm looking to make it better and educate people 1,500 at a time and give them life skills uh, and trade as well as academics. And where do you fall? Someone who's practical, even though there were things wrong around him, I have to pick my fights? 
or a guy like W.E.B. Du Bois, who's a highly educated guy who formed the NAACP? So They're what, both highly educated. Right, 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 of course, of course. Booker T. Washington went to um, Hampton University. Um, I, I'm the type of person where I'm hesitant to judge too harshly the men and women who came before me with with today's sort Absolutely. of current standards. I wish everybody was like that. So so I understand why both of them were making the arguments that they were making. Now, now to me, I'm very much in the mold of Booker T. Washington. I'm, I'm going to cast down your bucket, you know, where you are. I'm a person who believes in industrial education. Um, and it wasn't as if Booker T. Washington wasn't teaching his students. He was just teaching his students a different range of skills. They, they were literally building Tuskegee Institute as they were learning. It's as, crazy. As, he even made students. the bricks. Correct, correct. And, and he understood that there were great lessons in that, moral lessons, uh, lessons in, in industry and thrift and hard work. Um, so I, I'm a person who thinks that he is his, – his reputation is not nearly where it should be within – um, within the black community. community. Correct, within the black community. That doesn't mean that Du Bois didn't have points, and, and I think that it's hard to be a full citizen when you don't have voting rights, when you don't have equal protection under the law. But I think it is a mistake to believe that political representation can bring you anything approaching uh, social or economic equality in this country. As crazy as it was back there, Frederick Douglass escapes to freedom and, mm-hmm. and uh, Booker T. Washington born a slave, they both loved the country. Right, and they want to make it better. Can we can we learn from that? Uh, absolutely, uh, and, and and one of the, I wrote a piece a number of years ago contrasting the sort of anti-racism, quote unquote, of Ibram Kendi and Frederick Douglass. And one of the things that I said is that both Douglass wielded a rhetorical blade that was meant to prune, not to destroy. And people like Kendi, for them, everything is is the language of destruction, deconstruct, uh, decolonize, destroy, dismantle. Um, because those are the people that think our country is is inherently evil from from you know root to fruit, and we need um, a new founding, a new anthem, a new flag, and and what they want is massive social upheaval. Now they don't mind being paid very handsomely. Now they're anti-capitalists. On a lot one of money's gone, by the way. Correct. Um, but they will take all of your donations. So, so I think there's something to be learned um, in the lesson of Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass. So you have a couple more minutes around the break? Absolutely. Okay, good. And then we have Eric Prince at the bottom of the hour. There's something going on right on Venezuela's doorstep that should concern all of us. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Delano Squire is still here for a couple more minutes. Research fellow over at the Heritage Foundation with the DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family. Uh, Delano, one thing that, you, that I don't go heavily into in the book, Teddy and Booker T., but you think is important, is his partnership with Julian Rosenwald, a founder of Sears. Co- correct. And, and they worked together um, to create, I think, over 5,000 schools. Um, across the South to educate uh, African-Americans. Oftentimes with uh, those schools were started with money from ex-slaves. Uh, and I think, you know, probably over $4 million of donations from the community. So it's one of those things where you can't get around to education um, is one of the most important tools to upper mobility. So I always hear people, well, I'd love to get the black vote, but Republicans and Democrats, men and women, want to get the mm-hmm. black vote. What is the key to, to uh, the black vote? You can't generalize. I get it. Yeah, right. But what do people want to hear and what don't they want to hear? So, so for me, I, I think of a, a couple of things. I think of the home, the schoolhouse, 
and the, the state house. So, right, I, I think about family, education, and, and, and law, particularly public safety. And many black voters um, don't feel safe in their own communities and are looking for politicians to address that, particularly anyone who lives anywhere near a city, Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, um, D.C., uh, I also, obviously, black voters are interested in an economy, in an economy that's that's working for them. And also, I think education is one of the most important and critical ways to reach black voters, as it is with any other voter. So school choice would do that. And the other thing would do, you have to support law enforcement to Correct. do that. Correct. Can that be a double-edged sword? Can that be the it, wrong message? It, it, it certainly can. And, and one of the big parts that people don't talk about in terms of getting the black vote is the fact that black conservatives for well over 30 years – have been maligned and disregarded. I mean, Hakeem Jeffries, when he was in college, was calling uh, Clarence Thomas a house Negro. So, so one of the things that, that we have to be honest about is the, the sort of low social value that being a black conservative has within the larger black community. Um, if, if you can attack someone like Tony Dungy, who's pro-life, pro-fatherhood, pro-marriage, and liken him to a white supremacist for talking at a March for Life rally, which, which a black report, journalist in the Washington Post actually did do, um, you know that anybody else, whether it's Tim Scott or Byron Donalds, the country's doomed. Uh, and he's adopted by 12 different black kids. Exactly. Right. Uh, exactly. Foster kids. Right. And sometimes full time adoption. Right. One right. of the finest Americans you will ever meet. Absolutely. Great coach. That too. Hall of Famer. <laughs> Hall of Famer. And a really good broadcaster. Delano Squires, thanks so much. Great to know you. Thank you for and, having uh, me. Thanks so much for uh, uh, reading Teddy and Booker T. Thank you for having me. All right. Listen. And by the way, I hope to see everybody in Dayton on Friday, Saturday in Kentucky, Sunday. Uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Go to BrianKilme.com and just get your reservation. Eric Prince coming up next, a story you have to hear. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Well, one of the first rules of leadership and foreign policy is you don't go around saying exactly what it is that you're not going to do. It really seems like more and more the support we're giving Israel is being very, very backhanded. And, in fact, what it's doing is it's giving slightly more and more daylight to Hamas and the terrorists and the forces of evil thinking, hey, we might actually get through this and Israel might be forced to actually stop this war with us still fairly intact. And that's simply not acceptable. That's Armand Kadirian. Kadirian uh, he's a retired Navy captain and just talking about what we're doing behind the scenes, holding back Israel after this Brutal carnage. Now, the other side is you do see innocent people dying. War is brutal. I mean, can you imagine if we saw all this footage in real time, like you could be live streamed in World War II. Eric Prince is a student of history. He's Blackwater founder, former Navy SEAL himself, and joins us now. Eric, great to see you. Great to hear from you. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Brian. First off, if, uh, if I was to give you, um, if I was to give Israel a letter grade, the IDF a letter grade on how they're pro- prosecuting the war in Gaza, what would you give them? I think they're doing very well based on an extremely difficult uh, situation. The fact that Hamas started this this terror fact knowing that it was going to bring the kind of response and that they literally hide underneath their civilian communities makes it an ex- exceedingly difficult military task to separate uh, the wheat from the chaff. Um, and, it, you know, it's tough, and it's tough for them to continue to prosecute that war, uh, to smash Hamas in the tunnels, when the Biden administration is constantly telling them all the things they're not supposed to do. 
Understood. Could, should we have anticipated something like this as being that it has worked out so well for Russia and China? It gets attention off Ukraine. China knew we were pivoting to, to the uh, Pacific. And now all of a sudden we're back in the Middle East. Look, I don't know that um, I don't agree with the premise that uh, the, the China, Russia, Iran are super tight allies. They're definitely friends of convenience, uh, fellow travelers. It's um, it's a China pursues its self interest. Russia is effectively winning in Ukraine. The the they haven't advanced and taken territory, but certainly the Ukrainian uh, assaults have gone nowhere. And Ukraine is largely running out of manpower, let alone equipment. So I think that uh, that conflict is headed for resolution sooner rather than later. Putin has an election in March that um, he has to show something positive for. He has to, um, um, you really? know, what, what brought down the Soviet Union. Well, look, he's, he doesn't he's just kill everybody that's a serious contender. He's locked up his opposition. Uh, on both ends, but but really the thing that one of the things that brought down the Soviet Union was a lot of pissed off wounded veterans from the Afghan conflict, and he has hundreds of thousands of those. And if he doesn't show something positive for his for his escapade in Ukraine, uh, he that's that truly you know risks his um, him being in the seat. Um, <clears throat> what Hamas did is certainly supported, certainly agreed to by Iran. Uh, a lot of technical assistance with drones, with manpower, with training, and even with uh, with communications intelligence uh, to help them plan for it. It's it definitely it, def- it made Hamas step up their game significantly. Is it in our interest for Ukraine to survive and thrive? Certainly, it is. Certainly, Ukraine should survive and thrive. Um, Retaking every square kilometer of uh, of what was is probably not in the cards right now. If you look at the European maps, those those boundaries have shifted um, almost like with the tides. Um, and and it is if Ukraine presses on and tries to grind away to out basically out conventional war, the Russian army they're just going to continue to chew up their manpower. I mean, their their best fighters have all largely been killed off, and and now you're just doing um, kind of war of generational generational extinction. If they if they keep pressing on, they should they should settle, reconstitute as a country, and um, make a better economic incentive uh, for those people in the boundary lands because the, the areas that Russia conquered are are not in great shape, will not be in great shape, and even. The, the 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 territory the Donetsk Luhansk areas um, were not great even from 2014 till the present even when they were occupied by the Russians so right uh, warfare ends when when um, one side is exhausted both sides are quite tired now but Ukraine is uh, is near that tipping point of exhaustion and what you want to avoid right. is a is a catastrophic collapse of the Ukrainian state. Absolutely. I, I love the leadership of Zelensky. Uh, I'm in awe of the way the Ukrainians fight. They've taken about three, uh, taken out about 300,000, they say, Russian soldiers, and they've exposed them uh, as an uh, overrated unit. But, Eric, you, you enlightened me on something I had no idea about. All I should be on Ven- – not all, but we should be focused on what Venezuela is doing with Guyana. One of the greatest oil discoveries of modern times happened in Guyana, and Venezuela thinks they'll just take it over. 
This small country does not even have an army. They are begging us for help. Should we be helping them? There's lots of ways to provide them help that does not require U.S. troops. This is a clear case of of a collapse or a diminishment of American credibility and American deterrence, and it, it, it stimulates adventurism by thuggish states. It's the same kind of claim made by Saddam against Kuwait in 1990, and you know, Maduro, Maduro last Sunday on the 200th anniversary of the Monroe Doctrine speech given by President Monroe announces or they have a referendum. The referendum supposedly passes overwhelmingly that Venezuela should retake its its land, uh, basically 70 percent of the landmass of Guyana, which incidentally is where one of the largest new oil, like you said, new oil discoveries in the world has been done. Guyana was the fastest growing economy in the world last year. And now Guyana has announced, sorry, Venezuela, Maduro, the, the, the socialist dictator, ruler of the country, has announced that uh, Venezuelan companies will be reissuing concessions in this territory of Guyana and that any existing company should leave within three months. So that is the, the, the pressure and the nonsense is dialing up. I don't know that they will go with a full-on infantry-style mechanical uh, invasion because there's not really good roads. It's very thick jungle. But they're going to, I would say, through a irregular warfare, unconventional warfare approach, um, bully their way in, um, bully the the government of Guyana to, to accede to these demands and to cut a, uh, a very unfavorable deal, if not – it, 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 and that's if if the if the state of Guyana even even survives. Look, it's it's well, if America lets that stand because all that energy is coming to America because the Biden administration has made it exceedingly difficult to develop new energy in America. So this is a source that's close by, and and if the if the Biden administration lets this stand, uh, it, again it increases the chances of every other country solving their border disputes with guns, not diplomacy. Because uh, that's exactly what Venezuela is doing. Now, the interesting thing is Biden also cut off or, or re, uh, removed sanctions against the Venezuelan government. And so there is a deluge of New York hedge funds and politically connected investors going down to Venezuela to make deals with the Venezuelan effectively communist government, um, again, to the detriment of national interests. I just hope people realize that. And you're saying that wouldn't take uh, just a, a show of firepower would keep Venezuela in check. We also know big influences in Venezuela, Russia and Iran and China. So why would we Indeed. give them control of this? I mean, it makes no sense with very little effort and would show a lot shows we still care about our own backyard. Uh, it, yes. And it, and it shows that um, uh, that the United States supports um, peaceful diplomatic resolution of these things, not um, Right, you know, it, it, gun, it, diplomacy, not guns. There should be the, should be that. But look, America, the, the foreign policy of the United States should be that our friends love us, our rivals respect us, and our enemies fear us. In all three of those cases, uh, that is not really the case anymore. Our, our enemies don't really fear us anymore. Our rivals challenge us constantly, and our friends are wondering what the hell are the Americans doing now? Fixable. Very fixable. You think Trump can do it? Do you think he, Nikki Haley can do it? Do you think that? Ron DeSantis can do it. I think a change in paradigm and leadership in Washington is 100 percent necessary. And um, I hope one of those individuals has the opportunity to do so. Who are you supporting?
I think Trump is clearly going to be the nominee. And I think having learned the lessons of last time that, uh, you know, the real constitutional crisis in America is that we're supposed to have three branches of government, but the reality is we have four. The fourth being an unelected, unaccountable, uh, deep state bureaucracy that does right. whatever the hell it wants, and that needs to be brought to heel. And hopefully we can do that. Uh, by the way, people should know, too, China's not some uh, 10-foot-tall uh, 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 killer. Uh, they are Economically, they are vulnerable. Uh, Russia's been proven to be anything but a military juggernaut. Here's what David Cameron, the former prime minister, now foreign secretary of, uh, of England, said. Cut 39. When President Biden says if he went after a NATO ally, it wouldn't just be U.S. money, it would be U.S. troops involved. I mean, another way to look at it is you're spending like an extra 10% on your defense budget, but the Ukrainians' bravery has turned that into destroying about 50% of Russia's pre-war uh, defense equipment and people. For the, no, for the loss of no British lives, no American lives, that's an amazing investment in dealing with your enemies. Is he, is he uh, defining that correctly? Look, it, it, the the Ukrainian, so the Russians have certainly paid dearly for their for their bad actions that they tried in Ukraine. I think the really sad thing is if the left had not pulled the Russia Trump collusion nonsense, yep. starting in 2016, that Trump could have made a diplom- diplomatic deal with Russia to pull them away from the orbit of China. What was America's foreign policy really for per seventy to a hundred years? It was keep keep Russian resources away from German industry, uh, prevent that from 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 combining. That's what Hitler exactly tried to do: combine German industry with Russian resources. But now, the bunglings of the left have pushed Russia with all of those natural resources into a somewhat alliance cooperation with all the massive industrial capability of China that is not in the United States or Western civilization's interest in any way, shape or form. And so pulling Russia away from that back into the orbit of Europe somehow is a should be a strategic goal of the next president of the United States. Yes. Uh, right now, it's not going to happen. Uh, we don't know how much longer Vladimir Putin's going to be there. President Xi's going to be there for life. I can't see uh, Vladimir Putin losing an election, but uh, I never thought the head of the Wagner Group was going to make a run on Moscow either. I, I don't know how legitimate that was. He's dead now, so we can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very much dead. No, no question about that. Eric Prince, thanks so much. Always great. You bet, Brian. Merry Christmas. You got it. Uh, Meanwhile, he's always watching the globe. Anytime you see a tape from Eric Prince, double click on it because he just talked about everything. He alerted me to this whole Guyana thing. And I know you're probably rolling your eyes saying another place. Just so you know, if we look, we could easily stop this from happening, have an ally with a huge oil discovery, make sure it's it's uh, it's drilled in a way that's environmentally sound, not the way Venezuela is doing it. Have uh, our companies in there working for a free nation. Doesn't have to be a perfect democracy, but I don't want it run by Maduro. Do you? All right. Don't forget, watch One Nation, even though it's 48 hours away, 9 o'clock on Saturday. I hope that everyone will pick up a copy of Teddy and Booker T, uh, two American icons, blaze the path to racial equality. You can just go to BrianKillMe.com. You can get it personalized right there. When we come back, you're going to learn to know more and like it. Okay. Make it. Love it. Brian Kill Me Show.
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, guys, uh, don't forget we got One Nation Saturday night. Uh, Saturday night at uh, 9 o'clock. I want everybody watching. That's Eastern time. But for now, I realize, what are I thinking? You need to know more. More to know. So Joe Biden's at it again. Even though the Supreme Court said don't, he's still doing it. He's forgiving another $5 billion in student loans. The latest move will benefit 80,000 people, including the public sector workers. This is a payoff for votes. This is sickening. Here's his quote. In the wake of the Supreme Court's decision on our student debt relief, we are continuing to pursue an alternative path to deliver student debt relief. What about a car loan? What about a mortgage loan? How dare you do this? This is outright bribery. Should be election interference. To date, the department has approved $132 billion in debt uh, federal loan forgiveness. And you didn't go to college? You're out of luck. Next. The Biden ban on menthol cigarettes to be delayed amid political turmoil. Turns out a lot of African-Americans want it. Next. Uh, some Democrats join Republicans in voting to strike down Biden's EV mandate. The House voted Wednesday and uh, evening in favor of legislation striking down federal regulations targeting gas-powered vehicles, which, according to the White House, is designed to accelerate the transition uh, to electric vehicles. So 221 to 197, the House approved the Choice in Automobile Retail Sales Act with 216 Republicans and five Democrats helping them out. A group of more than a dozen Republican lawmakers led by Congressman Wahlberg, Clyde introduced the legislation in July in response to Biden administration's tailpipe emissions. They're looking to get rid of all of it. Next. How about this? Over four hours of smartphone use leads to serious health risks for teens. The study found that the adolescents of more than four hours of daily smartphone use exhibit higher rates of stress, suicidal thoughts, and substance use compared to those with less rage. I'd be very curious to see if we could expand on that high school study, I think, in New Jersey. Well, they told the kids you could not use bring your phone to school. Evidently, kids were ended up a lot happier. We'll see how big that gets. Next, an Alberta cyclist took nearly an 81-mile ride on the bike without using his hands to break a Guinness World Record. Robert Murray did it. Murray said he used his hands to massage his legs when they fell asleep during the record attempt. The cyclist says he has a lot of practice riding without using handlebars. Alzheimer's, is, this is what he did it for, is something that runs in my family, and I have... Uh, since lost my grandma's disease, breaking a record and raising money for a course near and dear to my heart was just a double win. Congratulations. Five hours and 37 minutes. Well, scientists believe they finally know why zebras have unique and sharp outline stripes. I told you I've been working on this study. I finally had to give it up. But here it is. A new study on the animal's fur revealed that a stark black and white stripe and small dark patches are particularly effective in warding off Attacks from disease-spreading insects. Really? I thought it was the leopard that they should worry about. Researchers from the University of Bristol deduced that the thin stripes of the zebra's back serve to minimize the size of monochrome dark patches that files, uh, that uh, that flies find appealing. Does this help anybody at all, the zebra study? Yeah, it just, it just answers a question that uh, I don't think anybody was asking. Right, finally. And how about this? The Yankees have made a key signing. Do you want to share that with us, Pete? Yeah, they, uh, well, it's a, it's a big trade with the uh, San Diego yeah, Padres in the, uh, for, uh, for Juan Soto. Yeah. Juan Soto brings his 275 average and 35 homers at 25 years old, promising future, obviously, if they can re-sign him. But among the people the Yankees gave up was Michael King. Now everyone's pursuing all these Japanese pitchers, right? 
Yeah, and, and, and apparently the Yankees are uh, going out of their way, too, to make sure they have a, a meeting to get uh, these big uh, players from Japan as well. They had great success with Hideki Matsui, if you remember. Right. He was very good for a yeah, lot of years. to win a World Series. Never heard a word out of his mouth, though. I don't think he made any effort to speak The English. greatest thing he ever did was bring a, an artist's conception drawing of his uh, girlfriend. That was one of the funniest things yep. I've ever seen in my life. Was that for real? Yeah. Yeah, he brought, that's what he brought as a joke. Oh, as a joke. But it really was her, though. Oh, okay. Her, though. What does that mean? You're on, you're on both sides of the issue. How dare you? Brian Kilmeade. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.